call the police, it'll call 911, and they all answer. So uh, you're pretty safe if you live in Box Elder. So that was the funny one. Uh, at the time, it wasn't so funny, but now I look back, it was kind of fun. Uh, the second thing was, some of you have met Peter Kinney and his wife Tanya and his son Nathan. Um, just real quickly, I, we could really see God's hand work. This earlier is spring, summer time frame. Uh, and what I want you to do is be thinking in terms of how God's worked in your life similarly. But we were walking one day, Carol and I, through the neighborhood, and we knew that Peter was looking for a house to have a ministry center in his home. And so it had to be a certain size, it had to be a certain distance from the base, and, and he had been looking online uh, at a number of places in our neighborhood, and nothing was working, because by the time he'd see it online, it was already sold. Remember how things were going so early this summer and late spring. So he gets, uh, we're walking along and we come across these, this couple who we knew from going to chapel a couple years ago uh, on base. And uh, we started talking to them, sharing, uh, asking them what they were up to. They were PCSing, they were leaving the area. We asked them about their house and long and short of it, uh, Peter ended up buying that house because we went on a walk and we got to know them, talk to them, and it never even went on the market. And so both sides saved some money, and it just was, it was fun to see how God worked to bring about one thing after another that we could not have planned. Um, so I want to open it up. There is another mic, and so we, if you would, stand up, share with us uh, something you see God doing in your life or has done. Doesn't have to be fun, maybe. It's exciting. And always share your name first. This is first name Sunday. <laughs> oh yeah, well I'm Emily. <laughs> and actually we had kind of a fun thing happen this morning. Um, yesterday I was on my way to Black Elk Peak with Kaylee and um, on our way there we uh, passed by this garage sale that had a bunch of like music stuff and a couple weeks ago I had broke a mic stand and I was like I have to get I have to get a mic <laughs> so I went I went to the garage sale they had a bunch of mic stands and also like a drum mic stand which uh, Creedon had really wanted so I was like that's awesome I'll get I'll get these and then we can replace the mic stand that I broke <laughs> And uh, turns out this morning I brought him in and uh, we had actually broke another mic stand too. So <laughs> it came in just at the right time so that we had enough mics for everything. So yeah, so awesome. Um, so, my name's Isaac. Uh, what's been going on with me is uh, my former roommate is now my brother-in-law, so praise for that, good <laughs> relations, all that. So, now uh, my other brother and I are looking for a new roommate, so kind of a request, but also kind of cool, a new member of the family, so praise for that, yeah.
My name's Nick. <laughs> and yesterday, well, actually today we're celebrating the first birthday of my granddaughter, Ebony. And uh, we had a lot of fun yesterday doing that with all her family. All her uncles and aunts showed up for that. Um, and th the reason I want to share that is to turn it into a prayer request because we're getting a lot of babies in this church. And uh, I know my granddaughter just aged a year, but I think my daughter and son-in-law aged about five years. Uh, so uh, I want to pray for this next generation of kids coming up, but especially praying for their parents, because that really is a hard job that they're, that they're doing right now. And we just want to gather around them and uphold all of our young families that we have here today. So I'm Logan. Um, this week, uh, with my job, I drive a Schwann's truck, and this week I end up in Montana, Wyoming. I stay overnight, so I'm basically gone all week while my wife is, uh, you know, left with our daughter. Um, and this week, she got pretty sick. Um, took her to the doctor. They classified it as an RSV, upper respiratory issue, and she was just miserable. And that meant my wife couldn't go to work and just, it was a whole issue and, you know, it just worked out that, you know, my father-in-law was able to come up and help watch her and be with everybody. So she's doing better now and, you know, both of my in-laws are here and it, it really, it's been really great having them available for that, so... So my name is Eric. As you can tell, I am Grandpa. <laughs> just saying. Um, I just want to add to what Nick said there. You know, it's kind of funny because I'm sitting here thinking as I'm holding little Yara, the, the tremendous tasks that young parents have now with the things that, you know, each of us are being bombarded with on a daily basis, and these little rascals are going to grow up in this. And it's so important. I'm, I'm already praying over her living 300 miles away that through Andrea and Logan that she would grow up in the church and be strong in her faith and that God will protect her. And, you know, being able to be here for three days this week while these guys were at work has been such a blessing for me. And to know that, you know, the next time I see her, she's going to be two, three, four weeks older again. And, you know, every day they are learning and growing and patterning what their life is going to be. And so as us as adults, it is so important that we stay strong in our faith, that we're a good positive example to these little rascals because, you know, they are tomorrow's church. And it's a big responsibility as parents and as grandparents that uh, we help pattern these little kids and bring them up in the church. So just, just pray for, like Nick said, all these little babies that are in, in the church here, that uh, they will have what we have and that they will hold true to that uncompromising. Hello, my name is Joey. Um, I just want to praise God for how he's worked because over the past couple weeks, um, I feel like in my life and, and a lot of other people's lives that I've seen, 
uh, things have just been really hard, and people are, are burnt out, um, exhausted, but why I praise God for that is because in so many of those people, I have seen them driven to Christ because of that difficulty. Uh, because of the things that they're going through, they are clinging harder to God's word than they ever have. They are looking to Jesus and saying, Lord, I don't know what you're doing, but my eyes are on you. So praise God for that and also pray that that would continue because that is what we need in the midst of suffering. So, uh, My name is Winter. Um, I, <laughs> I'm going to add a caveat to Joey's prayer. Um, I, like, within the last couple of days, lost a relationship that um, meant a lot to me, and they were someone that I really cared about, um, and it was a matter of um, someone being so lonely and so lost and looking for answers and deciding that the answer of Jesus was not enough for them and that the answer of God was not sufficient, and there wasn't enough evidence, um, which is really hard to hear and hard to watch someone that you care about and the thing that you know is going to help them, and they choose not to accept that. Um, so I just want to pray for them in that they, uh, I don't know, they don't shut down and don't shut down relationships that they've started building with people here at Common Ground and other friends that believe in God and that that doesn't get lost because as much as it, it hurts me to, like, have this happen, I know that it hurts them so much more. So I just want to pray that, that God still works in, in their lives. I uh, just want to include Ben and Kevin in prayers right now as they are somewhere on the far side of the world. Um, get working on a water project and just seeing where God moves them and the people they're working with. So um, not a whole lot of information, but did get a little news. Their first little newsletter came out, and that was pretty neat. So, All right, anyone else? So uh, our family is going through a, I guess, large health valley in our lives. My mother-in-law is having heart surgery um, in a couple weeks. My grandmother is getting a stint put in. My other grandmother is in the hospital with COVID and under surveillance. And my father-in-law just had a gallbladder removed. So I <laughs> just pray for their health and for the doctors working on them. Your first name again? Caleb. Get my steps in today. I'm not wearing my Fitbit. Yeah, I've been
been a member of this church for quite a while, and I have so many sisters in Christ that have held me up over the years. And um, I was a little depressed the last couple of weeks, or maybe a little longer, and I got a call from a friend in Montana um, who used to be a member of this church, too, and all of a sudden it was like there was more, I mean, I could see Jesus clearer, and I'm just so, so... Um, grateful for sisters in Christ and uh, sisters in our church and uh, brothers too. You know, I just appreciate our church and uh, everything that it stands for and uh, for our Lord and for the Holy Spirit and God. Thank you. And there was one to, oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry, I took, I took the mic. Um, my name's Susie, and I've been gone. I missed the ladies' retreat, which I was really bummed, but I had to go to Salt Lake to take care of Logan, who had RSV and was really, really sick with that and was getting better and then got um, an ear infection and pink eye, which we were like, you know, we've been here for like three weeks. Where did he get pink eye? Because we were all sick then because we got sick. But um, praise God that everybody's doing well and getting better. And um, I had a friend contact me that she said she had a dream about me um, and is aware of some things going on in our family with different members. And she said, uh, you know, I got this feeling in this dream, Susie, that you were like really sad and um, and I said, I responded back, I said, wow, I am neither sad nor depressed or anything because God is big enough, Winter, right? He is big enough no matter where any of those that we love are at or they're, they're at right now. They're still on this journey with him, and he is big enough for anything that is going on in their lives, and I trust him with them so she said oh well thank you I'm glad I'm you know because I'm like huh you had a dream about me that's real weird but all right but he is big enough I praise God praise God praise God that I I don't get overwhelmed and we don't need to be overwhelmed because he has everything under his control I'm very thankful for that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There was one over here. Other <laughs> hand. Um, so as many of you know, uh, my boyfriend, Ben, uh, is working at home in Winona, Minnesota. Um, and over the past couple of weeks, it's been really tough for both of us because our schedules are just um, off enough that we don't really get to communicate with each other very much. Um, but I praise God for the opportunity that we have to give one another up to God, and that's something that Ben keeps reminding me of, that this is a huge opportunity for both of us to grow in him. Um, and I also praise God that Ben is finding a really great community in his home church, um, and I'm super proud that he's um, being challenged and excited to learn and looking forward to his Thursdays. Right. 
Let's go to the Lord in prayer together, and uh, we'll remember you for, first of all, the, the family of God. We thank you for the way that you use brothers and sisters to encourage us and to build us up. We thank you for the way that you can speak to us and, and uh, help us understand that someone else may need prayer and may need encouragement. And sometimes maybe we do misread that, but Father, it causes us to realize that you are involved in our lives in a day-to-day -day basis that we, don't, we can't explain. And, uh, but we are so thankful for. We're thankful for the way that you worked in the Kinney's lives and providing this particular house that you did uh, at the time when you did in the midst of such chaos and purchasing houses, they were able to get a house that they could work with and build and it will become a ministry center where your gospel will be shared with many people from the military. Father, I just thank you that uh, you also work in terms of relationships, and, and then I just pray that you would provide a new roommate for Isaac and, uh, and that, but Father, that you also uh, have built a, a new family as well in that process. And Father, I do pray for um, the parents here in this room, uh, and I pray that you would give guidance and that you would give direction to them as they seek to lead their family. And I remember sometimes it just felt like you were, that the, um, the task was too great, uh, that it, the children would never move out of whatever phase. And, and yet then looking back, it seemed like it went so fast. Uh, I pray, Father, that you would cause each of us to always be living a life that will reflect you and that through your strength, through your Holy Spirit, that you would impact the children who are following behind in such a way that they would come to a strong belief and faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. But not only just for salvation, but they would stand up strong. We realize that in this world, uh, things are becoming more and more chaotic. And uh, we find people who are trying to replace you with so many other things. And not only f just for entertainment, but they're re replacing you for governments and for strength so that they don't have to depend on you. And I pray that you would cause in them, as Joey had asked, uh, the concern, the need for you, that they would be driven back to you that they would find you in every detail of their life. And Father, again, we just pray for the, even the grandparents, that they would also seek to lead well their grandchildren and uh, impact and leave, leave a legacy of strength, of faith. Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters around the world, particularly those who are in Afghanistan and, and the uh, the difficulty uh, that's going on there, their life is very much in danger. And so I pray that you would, would protect them, that you would enable them to have a way out if that's your plan. If not, I pray that you would give them strength and uh, 
the grace to minister to those who they are among. Father, there's so many things that we can be thankful for that we recognize your hand in, and, and we just thank you that you are a personal God who loves us personally and individually. And I pray for Winter's friend that you would, um, that you would just open their eyes, help them to realize that which is really true, and that uh, right now they're evidently discouraged, they're hurt, they're whatever, and they're turning the wrong direction. I just pray that you would bring them back. Um, help them to see that you are in their life and that you are working in their, their heart and providing for them, even when things are so stressed and so difficult. Father, we do pray for Caleb and his family and just ask that you would help them. There's a lot of illness right now, a lot of difficulties, but I pray that your, your grace, your mercy would be there and that uh, we would hear good news of how you've raised them up and, and brought strength back to them. Now, Lord, we just thank you for, for being here, for hearing us. I pray, Father, for Evan as he shares the word. I pray that it would be um, that you would speak to all of our hearts, that you would move us in such a way that we would be more committed, uh, that we would learn, but that we would be determined to follow you each step of our lives throughout this week. We thank you for all of this. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, thank you guys. Thank you, Mark. I feel like we just got to hear three really good sermons already, and now we get to get into another one. As Mark said, my name is Evan. I'm the lead pastor here, so I have the beautiful privilege of serving with Nick and Matt on the staff here and getting to lead guys like Mark and Jake and some of the other elders on the board here. And today, we are continuing on in our series where we are answering the question of who is Jesus? Because we believe that one of the most important things that we can ever do is answer that question, who is Jesus? And for those of us who have made the answer in our own life that Jesus is God and we're following him, and for those of us who identify as Christians, we acknowledge that one of the most important things we can now do as Christians is to help others to answer that question as well and to be able to answer that question for the world. And so we are trying to figure out, well, how do we determine who Jesus is? And we think that the best way to figure out who Jesus is is to look at what he said about himself, who he claimed to be. And so we are learning who Jesus is by looking at these I am statements that were made in the Gospel of John. And these statements in the Gospel of John are a series of seven metaphors or illustrations where Jesus, through various creative analogies, revealed something about who he is and what he does. And today, we're starting in the first one that Jesus said chronologically, and that is when he claimed to be the bread of life. And this is going to be in John chapter 8, where we're going to be. Last week, we talked about Jesus claiming to be the great I am and how all these seven I am statements really hang on the reality that Jesus is God and that Jesus is the great I am. And so today, as we get into this first one, Jesus as the bread of life, we will be, I said John 8, and I was wrong, John chapter 6. John 8 was last week. We're in John chapter 6 this week. And so as we look at Jesus claiming to be the bread of life, 
First, I think we kind of have to acknowledge that that is a strange way to identify yourself, right? I am bread. Um, we have our name tags on today, and some of you did write some witty, creative things on there. I know Will and Nick, both uh, those jokesters back there, had to write some creative things. But I don't think anyone in here would probably identify themselves with like an inanimate object, like bread or like food. And so it seems kind of strange, but as we're going to look into the way that Jesus identified himself as the bread of life, it's going to make sense to us as we lean into it. Especially because I think we can recognize that everyone, regardless of if you are rich, poor, young, old, male, female, if you speak English or any other language, if you're tall or short, whatever it is, you all get hungry. Is that a correct assumption? Okay, raise your hand if you've ever been hungry. Okay, I think we've got a pretty good amount out there. Some of you are probably hungry right now at this very moment. Some of you are getting hungry or and hungrier throughout this morning, especially as we're going to talk about food and bread and all these good things. It's going to just continue to cause your stomach to rumble as we go on. Yeah, but hey, we do have a lot of snacks this morning, so feel free to jump in there and grab those. But the reason that Jesus used what seems to be kind of a strange analogy is because he knows, as well as we do, that food is a universal language, right? Everybody, as we talked about, gets hungry. Everybody needs food. And Jesus recognizes that just as food is a universal human need, Jesus is also a universal human need. Just as everyone gets hungry and needs food, everyone on this earth needs Jesus. So that is one of the reasons that Jesus used this metaphor, because like food, Jesus is a universal human need. And so he goes into this conversation about being the bread of life, especially because as you find your way to John chapter 6, you'll realize that just about everyone on that day was talking about bread. That was kind of the buzz around the area, because at the very beginning of the chapter, Jesus performed a big miracle that many of us have probably heard of before, and that is when he multiplied a few barley loaves and a few fish and fed 5,000 men and then an untold number of women and children. And so Jesus took what was a young boy's lunch and fed about 15 to 20,000 people with it, and he multiplied this bread. And so bread was on everyone's mind at the time. Everyone was talking about what happened where Jesus multiplied bread and where he seemed to just have bread like flowing out of baskets. But the thing is that even though everyone saw this sign and they were talking about bread, they didn't quite understand why Jesus performed that miracle. And he goes into this conversation to try to kind of clear up why exactly he performed that miracle and what exactly he was revealing about himself in doing it. And what we're going to see as we move to the second half of that chapter is that Jesus was trying to explain that there are essentially two different kinds of bread, two different kinds of bread that sustain two different kinds of lives. And the people were just kind of focused on one kind of bread. They were focused on the bread that they were given in this miracle that was delicious and they could fill their belly with. And then they were continually after that. And Jesus is trying to teach that that's not the only kind of bread out there. And so this bread is the physical bread. You see, in the Gospel of John, when Jesus fed everyone on the mountain, he gave them barley loaves, this physical bread, and he was sustaining their life 
sustaining their physical life. And the Greek word that the Gospel of John uses to talk about this physical life is the word bios, biological life, the kind of life that you would learn about in biology class, right? This is the breath that's in your lungs right now. This is the life that every plant and every animal and every food has. It's biological life. And the people were so focused on this biological life and this food that would fill their belly, but Jesus was trying to get them to see that he is offering something even better than that. He is offering something beyond just what fills their belly. And there's another word for this kind of life that is in the Gospel of John, and this is zoe life, eternal life, spiritual life. And so these people... Jesus, as if you read through that first half of the chapter, Jesus actually left this huge crowd because if you see in verse 14 and 15, they were trying to make him king because they were looking for this bios life. But Jesus was trying to explain that what they were after was just this bios and he was trying to provide them this zoe life, this eternal life, this spiritual life. And he was trying to get them to see that the purpose of that bios bread was to get them to look at him for the zoe bread. And in the Gospel of John, you see people confusing the two a lot. Uh, If you've ever read the story of the Samaritan woman at the well, she's at the well drawing water, and then Jesus shows up, and they're hanging out talking, and she looks at Jesus and says, why don't you have a bucket? And Jesus says, well, because I have water that if you drink it, you'll never be thirsty again. And she goes, give me some of that water so I don't have to keep coming back to this well. And then Jesus says, no, it's not, it doesn't quite work that way. And he explains that he's talking about eternal life. He's talking about this zoe water that you drink for spiritual life. And all throughout the Gospel of John, this is what Jesus is trying to point people towards. He's trying to point them towards this zoe life. And in this particular case, when he claims to be the bread of life, he is saying, okay, you had your bios bread, you understand physical bread, and there's this special bread, and everyone's like, well, where is it? Can we have it? And he goes, it's right here. It's me. And this is what he is pointing to by claiming to be the bread of life here, is he's saying, it's about me. And he's saying, essentially, that I will take care of all of your needs, not just this need for food here. And so... As we saw in verse 14 and 15 there, they were just looking at that bio spread. They wanted to make him king, and so Jesus left. He left. It says in verse 15, Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So he withdrew to a mountain, got away from the crowd. That ended up not being quite far enough away, so he and the disciples got into a boat and sailed to the other side of the lake. In that time when they sailed is the story of Jesus walking on the water, in that situation. So he's just performing miracle after miracle, sign after sign. He gets to the other side of the lake, and the crowd finds him. They find him on the other side. They're chasing him. They're hungry again. They're looking for some more fish and some more bread. And so we pick up the story in verse 25 of John 6. So if you'll follow along with me, verse 25, and we will have the words on the screen here as well. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. 
For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. And so they asked him, What sign will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. First, I just want to point out kind of how silly that request is of them. Um, You know, they come to Jesus right after he fed about 15,000 people, and he walked on water. And then he's like, hey, you're only following me because you want food. And they're like, okay, okay, I get it. So, hey, Moses gave the Israelites food. Do you think you could perform a miracle like that? (laughs) Short memory, I guess. You know, that's kind of what he just did. So they continue. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. At this, the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he say, I came down from heaven? Stop there. So Jesus has 10 to 20,000 people following him here, and they're after him for this bread. And that's a ton of people. That's a lot of people, probably like 200 times the amount of people we have in this room, I would say. He runs away from them. They find him again. They ask for more bread. And Jesus said he's not really happy that they're there just to get more bread from him because he's saying, you're not interested in me. You're just interested in what you can get out of me. You're just interested in a free lunch again. And you're not actually wanting to follow me. You just want the things that I provide for you. And in this case, Jesus is making the statement that he wants followers, not just fans. He wants people who will actually commit to him, not just want the results, not just want what he provides, not just want this bio spread, and then forget about him until they need him again. And Jesus is saying, you know, you, you have just seen that I could provide something for you, or you've seen that I can produce a lot of bread, and so that's one of the reasons you want me to be your king, is you want me to be a political ruler to kind of help you to overthrow the Roman government, and you just want to use me to accomplish these things but you're not really interested in me. And so even though these people went and found Jesus, Jesus kind of called out the reality that they weren't actually wanting to follow him. They were just wanting him to bless them, to give them stuff. And Jesus says, it's not about that stuff. It's not about that bios bread that I might provide and just make appear for you. It's about the zoe bread that you receive when you follow me. And he said, it's about me, that I am this bread. And one of the things he pointed out is that he performed that sign or he performed that miracle to point to himself, right? And that's why the miracles 
And the Gospels are often called signs because they have a purpose. A sign points to something. And once you get to that something, you don't really need the sign. You're there. It's like all the different signs that Waldrug has around the world, right? They've got hundreds of signs all around the world. And then once you get to Wall, it would be kind of silly to say, where is that place? Where is Waldrug? There just aren't enough signs here. There's nothing else in Wall, and so you probably don't need a sign. It's there. And that's kind of what Jesus is saying here. It's like, you're in Wall. You're standing right before me. The purpose of those signs was to get you here. Now you're here. What else do you think is here? Why else would you be here? And, but these people, they don't get it. They're like, ah, no, I think we need more signs. Not quite convinced. Uh, kind of lost here. And Jesus is saying, no, those signs, the purpose of them is to point to me, and now you're here. Now you're standing in front of me. And so you don't need more signs. You don't need more biospread. You don't need to just settle down and wait for more food. You have to commit to me, to just follow me. And so he wasn't thrilled that they would just follow him once, get fed, and then be happy with that. But he wanted them to be lifelong followers of him who were totally committed to him. Totally committed to him whether they got bread or not. And he says, that's why I ran away, because you weren't interested in me. You were just interested in the benefits. And just in the same way, you know, Jesus wasn't thrilled that they showed up and listened to his sermon one time or, or that he prayed, they prayed one time or that they're like, oh, maybe I can get some catchy phrases from this book or I can learn a few fun things to use against the Romans later. Jesus was saying, I want you to be all in following me. And he does this several other times in the gospel where, where there are huge crowds and Jesus doesn't really get excited um, in Luke chapter 14, this huge crowd is following him, and he goes, look, if you're not willing to hate your father, your mother, your wife, your kids, and yourself, then you can't follow me. And it's like, whoa, Jesus, aren't you? That's a hard message to hear. I get it. <laughs> and Jesus is saying, I want you totally committed to me. I don't want you to just be a fan of mine. I don't want you to just like the benefits, but to actually be totally committed to following me. And so that's what Jesus says here. He wants total commitment. And I think it's really helpful that he used a food analogy because I think we understand this when it comes to food, especially when it comes to like the idea of just because you've received the benefits once or just because you listen to one sermon of Jesus, this doesn't mean you're following Jesus here because we understand that if you eat vegetables one time, are you a vegetarian now? I mean, probably not, right? You're like, yeah. I'm a vegan, but, you know, I'll eat a burger uh, every now and then, but it doesn't change it. I'm still a vegan. It's like that doesn't really, that's not really how it works with diets and stuff. But Jesus is saying, I want you to commit to me one time, and I want that to be forever. And as we get into this story, we're going to get into some of the verses later, Jesus takes this bread of life analogy to a really extreme point where he then says, I want you to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Now, when it comes to cannibalism, if you eat humans one time, you are now a cannibal. That's how that works. That's just, I'm sorry. It, it, it doesn't work the same way as like vegetarianism or veganism. If you've done it once, that's too much, that's enough, that is now your identity. Okay? And in a similar way here, that's what Jesus is saying, is if you've 
eaten my flesh and drank my blood once, then I want you to stay with me, and you are now mine, and you are now a follower, and you are now my people. And he uses this really tough analogy, but, but it makes sense. It makes sense. And what Jesus wanted to tell them and what he wants to tell us 2,000 years later is that I don't just want you to, like, live your regular life with a twist of Christianity or just with a little Jesus sprinkled in. I want you to recognize that if you follow me, if you eat of my flesh, that is now everything about you. That is now who you are. You can't just dabble in cannibalism. You've done it, and now that's it. And in the same way, Jesus is saying, you can't just dabble in me of just come to me whenever you're hungry or just whenever you feel like it or on the holidays or just because you had a conversation with your grandma and she made you feel bad about it. It's like Jesus is saying, no, I want this to be who you are. I want you to consume me and to be so consumed with me that this is all that you care about, that you recognize that I'm the most important need in your life that you recognize that you would follow me even if you don't get all of the benefits. Jesus is trying to get them and us to say, you are all I need, Jesus. And those are hard words, um, frankly. Those are pretty difficult words for us to hear. And, you know, there are times, especially as we get into this, where Jesus is pointing out that our need for him is hung on him being a universal need in our lives, but it also hangs on him being better than anything else the world has to offer in general. And frankly, that is hard to hear um, to, because there are so many things that we like, so many of those bios life-giving things that we like and that we hang to and that we seek after in our lives. So many idols is one of the ways that the Bible puts it that we go after in order to fill that place in our hearts and in our soul that only God can fill. And Jesus, frankly, comes in here and says, I want you to leave all of those things and just consume me. And let me be everything you need. And this is hard. This is a hard thing to hear because I know so many of us are thinking, well, yeah, Jesus is enough, but, you know, I'm really happy and I'm really satisfied when I have Jesus plus my job or Jesus plus my family or Jesus plus my circumstances or Jesus plus my portfolio and all these different things. And we couldn't honestly say that Jesus is all we need at times. And this is really a hard message to hear when Jesus is saying, no, I want to be all that you need. I want to be all that you need. And you see some of the pushback that the people then had. People then pushed back on this. But you see, Jesus, he wants this total commitment. And as we read here, Jesus points out just how much better he is um, than the stuff we go after. How much better he is. And right here in the next section of this passage that we're going to read, Jesus hurts everybody's feelings. And if you read the Gospel of John much, Jesus will hurt your feelings. He will offend your grandma, and he will trigger you. Because one of the things that he is trying to do is he is trying to point out how much better he is than the things you're going after. And he is trying to crush our idols so that we see that we can only be satisfied in him. And so these golden calves that we have as idols, Jesus throws them on the barbecue. And we're going to see that here in verse 43. So verse 43, they kind of push back and they're like, how can you say you're the bread of life? And Jesus says, stop grumbling among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them and I will raise them up at the last day. 
It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, yet they died. It's really patient there, Jesus. (laughs) Yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for you for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? It's a pretty good question. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. And pause there. So Jesus takes this metaphor to a really extreme end, right? And it's like every time he says it, it just sounds worse and worse, and he just keeps going. And he takes it for for one reason. He takes it to this brutal end because his life would come to a brutal end, of course, we know, on the cross. Um, But here, you know, Jesus Jesus is being somewhat offensive, um, you know, He's having this conversation in the synagogue, speaking to to Jews who won't even eat pork, and he's having a conversation about cannibalism here. Pretty rough, you know? It's kind of encouraging to me, though, because I know that I've made some rough analogies in my life, and I'm not going to tell you all the analogies that I've made preaching that maybe weren't as good. But at least I know here that, hey, if Jesus can make some pretty hard analogies, then I I think I'm okay. I think it's not necessarily a sin to do that. And so Jesus is just going to the extreme, um, essentially being pretty offensive, talking about cannibalism in the synagogue here, or just reminding them that their ancestors are dead twice. That might not seem all that offensive to you, but I assure you for the Jew in the synagogue at this time, that was, okay? Because this story, especially Moses and Abraham, this story is the story that they get their identity from. This was their culture, this was their lineage, That story is how they knew that they were God's favorites. And the story of God providing for them in the wilderness is like, yes, you know, that's Jesus providing. I mean, that's God providing, and and he would never let anything happen to these people. And then Jesus is like, yeah, and then they all died. (laughs) And Jesus takes their shining example of why they're God's favorites and kind of ruins their favorite bedtime story there. And frankly, In our lives today, Jesus will do that same thing to our idols. He'll do that same thing to what we seek in order to be satisfied and what we think might fill us up in order to get us to see and to know that all we need is him. He's just showing how much better he is than the things that we cling to and the things that that we seek after. And oftentimes in our lives, it'll offend us too. We laugh at these people because Jesus gave this hard message, but there are things in our own lives we know, thoughts that we have, or possessions that we have, or relationships that we have, or these different things that we hold to, and Jesus disagrees with them and wants us to put them down. 
and says, no, that is not for the follower of me. And that is really offensive to me, Jesus. I like these things, and these things give me bios life. And Jesus, as he does in my life, he does the same that he did for those people where he says, those things you are seeking to do something for you that only I can do. And he's trying to remind us, he's saying, hey, I'm better than these things. And it's going to hurt your feelings when I tell you how much better I am than these things. But I just need to get you to look at me and come after me. And you know, he doesn't do this just for the point of being offensive or to stir the pot. His motive, as we know, is love, right? It's this intense, unrelenting love where he is not going to let anything get between us and him. Where he's not going to let us just be consumed by these things that we think we can consume and they'll make us happy, but are actually controlling and consuming us. And Jesus says, those things are getting between us, so I'm just going to crush them. I'm just going to point out how bad they are for you. And Jesus is going after them for that reason. Because you see, Jesus is the Prince of Peace, but in order to make peace between us and him, often he has to crush some of those things that we are putting between us and him, right? He has to get us to turn away from things in our life in order to turn onto him. And often I think, you know, we, we don't really like that picture of Jesus. We just like the picture of Jesus where he lets us just add a little of him to our life and he lets us just kind of dabble from time to time and he doesn't actually call us to sacrifice anything. But when we read this story of Jesus claiming to be the bread of life, he's making it very clear that that I should be the only one that you're going after. I should be the only thing that you're eating. And he's really relentless in this story of pointing out how much better he is than the other things that these people are holding to. And frankly, even though it it hurts my feelings sometimes when Jesus does this, that I would take the Jesus who is relentless in crushing my idols than the Jesus who wouldn't be courageous enough to do that, right? Who would just let me have what I want. But instead, the Jesus we see in Scripture is relentless, pointing out how much better he is than anything the world has to offer. And so that's what Jesus is doing in this case. And he's making it clear, hey, these things will not satisfy you. These things will not be what you need. But look to me. I am better than those things. And he does that. And I think there are many times in our lives where this is going to take place, where Jesus is trying to crush our idols and separate us from the things that are between us and him. And I really, I don't like having to do that. I really don't like offending people. I really don't like calling out people's idols. I tend to be more on the side of like where people show me their idols and I go, wow, that's nice. That's cool. Cool idol, you know, that's good for you. And I'm just like screaming in the background, but I just, I want people to like me, you know, and so I avoid those things. And I praise God that Jesus is not like that, you know, that Jesus clearly comes in and declares his greatness and he says, yeah, you have Moses. I love Moses. He's He's great, but I'm better than him. The reality, Jesus says, I am better than him. That Moses gave the people bread. Now they're in the ground. But I give bread that will sustain this Zoe life for eternity. And this is a pattern we see of Jesus over and over again. Jesus says, I am like nothing else. I will fulfill you and satisfy you. One of the things I think we have to remember is, 
you know, as I was trying to figure out how do I illustrate this, and I was tempted to say, well, I could just bring like a plain loaf of white bread here, and then I'd have like a really nice loaf of bread on the other side, and one would be, you know, the bios life, and one would be Jesus's life, but it was just hard to decide like, well, what kind of bread would I use to illustrate Jesus, and so I couldn't pick, and so I didn't get anything, but we've got a ton of good snacks in there that are great. That would probably be a good illustration of that, because I think often well, my first initial thought was like, well, I would represent Jesus with like something really healthy. And then I realized that you guys probably wouldn't like that. And it'd be like, yeah, Jesus is a bran muffin with nuts in it. Like what? <laughs> so I think the analogy wouldn't quite help. And because that's not exactly who Jesus is. Jesus is declaring himself to be so much better that the comparison would really be like, okay, the bios life would be maybe a donut and Jesus would just be like a seven course meal. And that's what Jesus is declaring in this case, is I'm so much better than these things that you turn to. I'm a feast. I promise I'm better. I'm not just like the healthy option that you have to choke down. I'm so much better and so much more satisfying. And when Jesus spoke these words, that's what he was trying to communicate. But of course, it didn't quite land And people were freaked out. They didn't really get it. Most of them didn't really understand what he was talking about um, because (laughs) Jesus was getting to the heart of it. And Jesus was really trying to get them to answer the question of, do I trust what he's saying, even if it's hard to hear? Do I trust what he's saying is true, even if it's a little weird? And even the disciples were confused. And so let's, let's finish this story, see how it ends. In verse 60, most people didn't understand it. They were a little freaked out because Jesus keeps saying that over and over, over again, eat my flesh, drink my blood. And the disciples even admitted in verse 60, on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe, and who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. And then Jesus replied, Have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. And he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the twelve, was later to betray him. And so Jesus asked his disciples, Do you want to leave me too? This is a hard thing to hear. What are you going to do about that? And frankly, he asks us the same question often. But here, if you notice, his greatest concern wasn't really that everyone would understand everything and that they would get every little nuance in this analogy. He knew that not everyone would follow him. And there's, of course, that famous, very sad line in verse 66 where it says from this time many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him and jesus knew that this would be the case he knew that not everyone would choose the zoe bread over the bios bread and in verse 63 he said the spirit gives life the flesh counts for nothing 
The words I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life, and there are some of you who do not believe. And then John kind of inserts what he learned later when he wrote this, and he says, For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. You see, Jesus knew that not everyone could hear this and not everyone would follow him and that some would turn away. And so he made these statements not just knowing that it would be the most effective thing, but because it's what they needed to hear. It's the truth. And Jesus said, you know, I'm not just here to show you a miracle or two. I'm here to show you myself. Take it or leave it, essentially, Jesus is saying. And he says that there's an aspect of this message that just sounds crazy to the world. Because the reality is it is kind of crazy. I mean, what a weird subject. You're teaching to these Jews who won't even eat pork. And Jesus, you talked about eating flesh. And Jesus is pointing out here, as he mentions, that that there's an aspect of this where God has to enable the person to see, right? That to the world this does seem a little crazy. And Jesus is saying here, there has to be something beyond just the way it's communicated for people to believe. And, and this, I think, is a really important thing that we have to recognize because I know there are many of you who have asked me before and there are many people who are constantly asking the questions of like, how do I get my friend and my family member to see Jesus for who he is? You know, they, they just don't believe. They just can't see it. And to them, it seems crazy. And I've tasted the bread of life. I've tasted Jesus, and I know that he's beautiful, and it's great, and it's the best way to live. And so I don't get how they can't see it. And this is how I feel so many times, too. I'll just admit, I'm one of the crazies who actually believes this. I truly believe that Jesus is all that we can need, that he satisfies every single need that we could ever have. And so I don't understand, how can people don't see this? Like, how, how can they not? And, and how can I explain this better? Or how can I come up with a really good analogy to get them to believe? And, and oftentimes when people don't, then I'll just blame my own communication and I'll think, well, you know, that, just, that joke didn't land or that analogy wasn't the best or, or maybe if Nick says it instead, you know, his voice is just so beautiful. Like, it, that'll work. That'll do it. Or maybe if, like, a woman says it instead of me or maybe if I do it this way, then they'll believe. Because for someone who has tasted Jesus is so a life, it doesn't make sense how anyone could not love that or think it's the best thing in the world. But Jesus here says, unless the Father draws them, then they won't believe. And Jesus isn't begging them. He's recognizing that there is something that needs to take place of the Spirit drawing them and opening their eyes to see this. And that it doesn't all just hang on our methods or the way we communicate it or our skills in this. We have a responsibility, of course, to to preach the gospel and to do as best as we can. But I think it's silly that often we take full responsibility for the results on ourselves and expect that no one would ever reject Jesus when right here in the New Testament we have people rejecting Jesus. We have Jesus preaching a message that says it's full of spirit and of life, And still people rejected it. Still not everyone believed. And I think it is frankly kind of silly to think that if that's, if if Jesus' message didn't even result in everyone believing, then why do I think that I could do the same thing? I mean, Jesus' message was full of spirit and full of life. And my messages most of the time are like, 
This is the best I could do. I mean, <laughs> come on. I do this every week. What do you expect? But it's like, you know, and Jesus performed miracles. And I'm just going to tell you, I don't have any miracles for you. I'm sorry. <laughs> like it. He might. And he did these things, and he walked on water, and yet still people rejected. Because there's an aspect of it where unless God opens eyes and something happens where the results don't always depend on us and there has to be something spiritual that takes place to bring people to faith in Christ, to accept that the Zoe bread is better than the Bios bread. And then it's interesting that Jesus then ends the passage by talking about Judas here. He talks about Judas there in verse 67 and And John, when he wrote this, he was able to know the end of the story, and so he was able to put that in there. He's like, oh, that's what Jesus meant when he said it. We were all kind of confused when he said it, I'm sure. Jesus just said, one of you is the devil, and I'm sure everyone was thinking, oh, no, it's me. But he he talks to Peter in verse 67, and he says, do you want to leave me too, right? Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? Where would we go? What would we do instead? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And then Jesus, of course, said that, you know, I've chosen you, but one of you is a devil. And there were people like Peter who said, where else would we go? We would never leave you. There's nothing else better. And even though Peter might not have recognized everything that Jesus was saying here, he had tasted Jesus' bread, and he knew that this is the best thing. There's nothing better. I'm not going anywhere. But Judas didn't respond that way. And if you know much about the story of Judas that Jesus just alluded to. Judas would be the one who would sell Jesus to the Romans for 30 pieces of silver. And so Judas gets paid off, gives up Jesus, chooses money over Jesus. And then it's like he's standing in the temple and he receives this cash and if you read the story, it's really sad where it's like Judas is holding this bag of money that he just traded Jesus for, and he realizes that this is not as good, that I traded my Lord and my Savior and the one who would die for me for this. And he threw that bag of money on the ground, and he ran out, and he took his own life. And it's a sad story of Judas recognizing there that the bios that I traded Christ for was not worth the zoe that I was giving up. That this bag of money was not worth the decision I made to sell out Jesus. And he recognized there that Jesus had gave his life for him and he traded it away. He chose this other bread. He didn't choose the bread that Jesus offered him. And then, as we saw immediately after that, Jesus gave his life for us, for his followers. And the analogy is is kind of played out there again, where just as any food that we eat, any plant, any animal, any grain, has to die and be crushed in order to give us life, Jesus then died in order to give us life. And it's at that time that that you could truly see that if Jesus would really do that for me, if he would truly give his life and die for us, then there isn't anything better. Then maybe he is all that we need. And that is the food, that is the bread that will satisfy. And nothing that the world 
could give us could truly be worth it. Nothing could be worth it. So this is what Jesus meant when he said, I am the bread of life. He said, I am all that you need. There's a universal human need for food, and that'll keep you alive for so long, but I will give you eternal life. If you become my follower, if you become sold out and committed to me and follow me, and you make that decision once, and now that's you. Now that's just who you are. That's what you've done. And then Jesus points out, and he will point out to us over and over in our lives just how much better he is than other things. And when those situations happen, may we be able to choose his Zoe bread over that bios bread that we really want to turn to and recognize how much better he is than those things. And may we, may we answer like Peter and not like Judas there, where we recognize where else would we go? What else is there? May we never be able to experience what Judas felt when he realized he had made that decision to give up his Lord and Savior for this other thing that he sought after. Because Jesus is the bread of life. And he makes that offer to you to come and eat and never be hungry again. So would you bow your heads and pray with me? Well, Father God, we thank you for being the God that we can turn to to satisfy all of our needs. We thank you for giving us a taste of your eternal life, of of being fully known and fully loved by you, even at our worst, even when we do have these idols, even when we do choose this bread that fills our bellies but is not you. We just thank you for giving us grace after grace and opportunity after opportunity to turn to you. We just commit to being people who, who feast on on your flesh, God. On people who are pointing others to your bread of life. And Jesus, right now, so many people are coming to our minds of people that we desire to see come to faith in you and to be able to receive eternal life. And our hearts break knowing that they're hungry just eating this bios bread. And, and we desire to see them receive your eternal life. And Jesus, we commit to doing whatever it is that you call us to do, to work in their lives, to communicate your gospel. But we just recognize that there is a point where there are things only you can do, that eyes have to be opened. And we ask that you would do that in the lives of those who have come to mind today. Would you do what only you can do? And would your spirit be prompting us to pray and to rely on you in those situations? Because Jesus, you are truly all we need every situation of life. And we commit to being a people who see no other options in this life but to feast on you. So thank you for speaking through your word this morning. Would you just write it upon our hearts and minds? And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.
Common Ground, as you go, reminder to come back at 7 p.m. tonight for our hot topics across the way in the dark hall and make your way to the dark hall and finish up all that delicious bio spread that we've got over there as well. And as you go, would you go with the words of Isaiah chapter 55? Come all who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread? and your labor on what does not satisfy. Listen, listen to me and eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Hear me that your soul may live. Grace and peace, thank you for coming. Have a wonderful week.